0: Father, I ask that in these moments that we consider your word, we consider your mercy to us this morning. I pray that our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears would be receptive to that mercy. God, I know we tend to fight you on your mercy because we have to admit we need it. And so help us be uh, quick to admit we are in need of your mercy, and and uh, we'll just thank you for how you move and live and shape uh, your people in the body of Christ here at Highland. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The mercy of God is quite shocking, is it not? The mercy of God causes us to freak out in many ways. Mary's song is an announcement that we've been talking about the last several weeks. Jacob opened us up with Savior last week. We talked about mighty. This week, Mary refers to God as merciful, and there's a reason she refers to him as merciful. That's because God has revealed himself as merciful, In Luke chapter one, verse 50, Mary says, he, God, shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. Mary is only declaring what God has already revealed about himself, and God is merciful. Mary's words, if you consider her situation as a young, pregnant, unmarried woman in her day, There were some severe consequences that could have come with that. And for her to say God is merciful, she's no longer just saying he is merciful to a people. She is saying he is merciful to me. Stoning could have been a, a, a possibility, a result of this pregnancy. Divorce could have been a result of this pregnancy. But she trusted that God would take care of her, and he did Mary was an object of mercy. Mary knew that God was mighty, but that in his might, he had the authority to back up his merciful welcome of her. This is the picture of God, not just mighty, but merciful. If he's mighty, he's just a bully. If he's merciful without might, he's weak, weak backed and has no authority, but because he is both, we have a beautiful picture of the power of God coming very close to the needs of the people. God wants us to know he is merciful. Do you believe that? Some of us, by the way we live, would say otherwise. The last time someone wronged you, what was your response? Your response determines and speaks a lot about what you believe about the mercy of God. In Exodus, as the people of God are learning about who God is, God chooses to reveal himself to Moses as merciful. Listen to his words in Exodus 34. Moses wants to know the Lord, and he passes in front of Moses. He calls out, Yahweh, the Lord, this is the Lord speaking, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations." And Moses has the right response. He immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped and said, oh Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. Moses is hearing the Lord say these things and his response is falling down saying, if you are mighty and you are merciful, we wanna be your people. We've heard a lot about dictator gods who are just finicky and as fickle as human beings are and they crush people just because they can, but you are a God who reveals himself to be mighty and merciful. And if that's the case, we wanna go with you. Moses, just like, just like it's like he wrote those things down, In the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 14, he's actually saying back to the Lord what the Lord said to him when Israel is being really naughty. They're complaining, they're fighting, they wanna kill their leaders and they wanna go back to Egypt. And so Moses, I'm sure it was like, I'm looking through my journals, he's going, okay, uh, um, please Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed, for you said, remember Lord, you said, The Lord is anger, slow to anger, and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children of the third and fourth generation. In keeping with your magnificent unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. Moses is saying, you're merciful. Uh, We're going to put that to the test. Can't you just see Moses going through his journal? He's like, okay, all right, you said something one time, Lord, that was about mercy. Um, I know, we're screwing up. Where, oh, there it is. There it is, right there. You said you are merciful. Moses tells God, look, you did all this mighty stuff. You charged us out of Egypt. You rescued us. Now, would it make a lot of sense for you to slaughter us in the wilderness? <laughs> Like, let the world know that you're both mighty and merciful. And if you kill us just to do that, that would be bad, right? What is the world going to think, God? Ah, Right? And the Lord agrees. A mighty God without mercy is a bully. A merciful God without might has no authority to back up the merciful call. But because God is mighty, his mercy matters to you and to me. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as from the east is from the west. When you look up into the stars, when you look up at night and you see into outer space, it literally looks like it goes on forever, does it not? Maybe that's the point. And that is how much he has loved us. He has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. From, from looking at creation and the universe, we know that the universe is expanding. That's a good thing because we know that it has a start somewhere, and as it expands, the east is getting actually farther from the west, and that's a really cool visual, right? That, maybe that's why God said it. Maybe that's why he put it in motion. Maybe he makes us look up into the stars and goes, that's how much your love towards me? That's how high it is? It looks like it goes on forever. That's the point. I think sometimes we forget And there's a reason I think we forget, because we're not used to giving or receiving mercy. Jesus walks with his disciples, and the disciples are good at asking the practicals. We're talking about mercy, but how do we flesh it out this morning? And Peter asks a great question to Jesus, and he says, Lord, in Matthew 18, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? See, in Peter's mind, that would have been generous because a good rabbi would have taught, oh, at least three times. Three times might be enough. That's probably good. After the third time, they probably, eh, get rid of them, right? That's the thought process. And so Peter's like being the good disciple. He's like, seven times? It's ludicrous, right? That's a crazy idea. Forgive someone seven times. That doesn't make any sense. But Jesus says in verse 22, No, not seven times, and Peter, quick to speak, was probably like, I know, that was ridiculous, right? No, no, not seven times. Seven times is way too many. Jesus says, no, 70 times, seven. Now, I know that those of you that are data people, you're like, that's 490 times. I gotta forgive somebody 490 times. They get to 439, 490 times, or they get to 489, and they do that last one, I'm done with them. For those of you that like counting numbers, it's not the point. The point is is that it goes on and on and on. And then Jesus continues, because you and I are used to revenge, revenge was a part of their life, revenge is a part of our life. They adopted the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, not just in court settings, but in personal settings. The crime and the punishment were supposed to fit, so when we engage, and it's not a crime that goes to the court, we take justice into our own hands, and we take revenge. The Lord actually had to create cities of refuge because the cycle of revenge continued so deep. People were offended and killing, and you just never knew when it was gonna lay, somebody was laying in wait to take you out because you took someone in their family out. It could have been a person, it could have been a tribe, it could have been all of those things. And so the Lord had to place create places that allowed people to go and say, This cycle of revenge has to stop. In Leviticus 19, the Lord says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus tells the story in verse 23. He starts, therefore. Whenever Jesus says, therefore, he's connecting dots. The question that Peter asked is connected to this story. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, is what the New Living Translation says. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now in this story, Jesus is referring to a Gentile king. A Gentile king, the Israelites were used to it. They were used to people working them over and taking their money and taking their stuff. And it was oftentimes people would work for the king and say, look, great king, if Carl told you he can get 100 bucks out of people, I can get 150 bucks out of people. And the king would say, all right, so be it. That will be what you owe me when I come collecting. And the truth is, this debt that was owed, it was time to collect, Now, as I said, the New Living Translation said millions of dollars. Your translation may say 10,000 talents. Now, talent is not an ability here. It is a measure of weight or a monetary unit. Now, I want you to consider this. One talent is 10,000 denarii, and you're like, so what's a denarii? I'm glad you asked. One denarius equals one Roman coin, all right? And one Roman coin, what's the deal? One day's wage, all right? This is where we're at. Now work it backwards, and I like to use the math here. If you go backwards from here, one day's wage, right, you're gonna owe a lot more than that. You can go to the next one, right, right there. One Roman coin, one day's wage. 10,000 days, one talent. 10,000 talents is what's owed. That's 100 million days wages that you owed that king when he called it in. And if you're one who loves math, that's 273,972 years to pay off that debt. You thought your 30-year mortgage was tough. (laughs) Right? Jesus isn't saying that it's a possibility to pay off this debt. Right? And the ridiculousness is that the king even says, you know what? I'm going to sell you and your family, and that'll work off the debt. No, it won't. Josephus, the the Jewish historian, tells us that one ex-military strong male servant would go for less than one talent. And here you're selling this accountant and his family. They wouldn't fetch anything. What's even more ridiculous from the perspective of the, the man is verse 26. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay you do you have 273,000 years laying around that you can just use to pay someone back? No, you don't. It's laughable. People's responses to how things go. The audience that was surrounding this courtroom would have probably been dying laughing at this man's confession. But what's even more shocking is verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. This story takes a shocking turn when the deserved result, the deserved consequence was changed. What was expected was changed. What was supposed to happen did not happen because the king chose to have mercy on this man. Why would Jesus want us to know that God is merciful? Because we don't think he is. Our our standing position is that we think God is out to get us. Many of us do. Many of you are probably sitting in this room going, man, if I had just done things different, God wouldn't be punishing me for those decisions. Many of you are sitting here going, I should have done something different, and you're carrying the guilt and the pain and the shame and the heaviness because you believe God is out to crush you. God is mighty, so you know he can, but you don't know his mercy because you haven't looked at his son. For you and for me, we have upbringings, we have experiences, we encountered mean religious people, so what do we believe about the mercy of God? Well, if his people aren't merciful, God's probably not merciful either. Jesus wants us to know that God, our Father, is merciful. We also need to know that he's merciful because for you and I, we walk with, well, if he's mighty, he's gonna crush me. The truth is, Jesus puts on display the mercy of a God who allows lepers, sinners, and children to run to him. Children can tell when somebody's crazy. They can tell when somebody's mean. And children flocked to Jesus. What we see of Jesus is meant to teach us about our Father in heaven. But the third thing I think, the third reason that we really, really, really doubt God is merciful is because of people. We don't see mercy. We don't experience mercy. They did something to me, I'll do something to them. We live by Cobra Kai, way of the fist, strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. That's the way we live because that's what we've seen. Jesus chose to model something very differently. We see the picture of God's might and his mercy in the announcement of his arrival. Luke chapter one, verse 78, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Because God is merciful, we get the gift of God's grace. He is the one who takes what we expect to get and turns it into the unexpected. Jesus destroyed the strongholds of sickness and demons in people's life. Jesus destroyed the penalty of sin as he died. Jesus destroyed the stronghold of death and the grave at his resurrection. God is most certainly mighty. But Jesus also received the the leper and the sinner. Jesus received and welcomed the sick and the outcast, and Jesus forgave the notorious sinners. God is merciful. It's probably one of the reasons we avoid looking at Jesus. It's pretty easy to hold on to grudges when you don't look at a merciful Savior, isn't it? We love to hold things over people's heads because we love control. We like revenge because it gives us what we want. And if we look at Jesus, we're going to be like, oh, I can't walk that way because he didn't walk that way with me. I know why we ignore Jesus because we love control and revenge makes us feel like we're in control. The end of the story about the rich man, the king and the debtor doesn't end well. In fact, the, the, the man who owed this incredible debt goes out and grabs a dude by the throat who owes him a couple of bucks and says, you better pay me what you owe me. And the man replies, I will work it off, give me a minute, I can do it. And he says, forget that, to prison you will go. The crowd freaks out. The king hears about it. And he says to this debtor, was I not merciful to you? Should you not show the same mercy? Mercy is no joke. Because mercy is the way of the Christ follower. Jesus doesn't just tell us good stories to pump us up, give us chicken soup for the soul. He's actually explaining to us the way of the believer, because he showed us mercy first. As the band comes and we prepare to celebrate these kids dancing down the aisle and 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 probably missing a cue and holding candles that are not real fire, by the way. The messiness that is Christmas time. The mercy of God has been introduced to us. And so I ask you this morning, do you understand how grace and mercy are connected? I know we use them similar, like we try and tie them together, but grace is the unexpected surprise, right? It's like, oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even know I, I, I got that, that's awesome. Mercy is different because mercy is the unexpected result. You and I know that we got something coming to us and it's probably not good. Do you know that God would remind Israel that he was merciful when she was messing up? That's whose mercy is for. Mercy is for the one who believes the consequence of the hammer is coming down on me, but God receives me. God welcomes me. God's invited me in. That's the difference. Mercy is us getting what we do not deserve. It's not getting what we deserve. The beauty of God's invitation is over and over and over, I am merciful. This morning, Psalm 25, 6 tells us, remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord, O Lord, The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right and teaching them his way. Have you known the word of the Lord enough to remember that he's merciful? Do you appeal to his mercy? Just like when we choose to show our children mercy and grace, there have been times each of my kids has tried this. My wife and I walk walked that, t- that tough balance of trying to be the, the, you gotta have consequences for your choices, but we also want you to know God is gracious, right? So you sit down with them, and they expect consequences, and you look at them and you go, all right, so because God has been merciful to us, we are going to be merciful to you. We don't do it every time, because our kids will be like, Father, remember the time you were merciful to us? Do that again, Please. Do not take us, our screeneth, timeth, awayeth, Lord. Right? But the reason they knew they could appeal to me about my mercy and grace is because I have offered it to them. Not very often. I'm not God. Don't need to get that right. But they appeal to it because they've known it. The psalmist does that very thing. Psalm, 50, or Psalm 123, have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy, for we have had our fill of contempt. I love this. They're like, Lord, I've done everything I can. I've, I've, I've chased idols. I've chased money. I've chased the women. I've chased the life. I'm done. Have mercy on me, O oh Lord. Psalm 51 may become a prayer that you repeat as you're greeted with mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. You're not even bringing anything to the table. You're going, God, I just need the mercy because you're awesome, you're powerful, you're loving. Why don't you do it on behalf of your name because my name, I, I ain't got nothing. And then Lamentations is such a greeting for the morning. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Why would Jesus want us to know that God is merciful? Because we're in need of it and we're forgetful. We just are.